The following is an archived podcast presented by the Branson and Hudson Foundation for Podcast Recovery, a Charles Austin company. It is the first and only episode of the podcast. Welcome. Hello, to movie lovers, one. one and all. Welcome to Oscar Me Ood by Oscars. I am, of course, John Fisher Millions here. We got some great Osnoms loaded up today, and we're going to go through everything. It was another great year for movies. We're getting people in the theaters. We're getting people excited. And I got two movie Einsteins with me here today, and I just know they're champing at the bit to get to these movies. Without further ado, let's roll out the red carpet for my first guest, Mr. Clive Devine. Clive, how are you? Always happy to be here talking movies with you, John. <laughs> Same to you. And of course, filling out the trio is my close personal friend, Ree Soulstone. Yes, of course it doing? is me. I am the film critic for the Hollywood area of America, located right here in sunny California, Los Angeles. And, you know, when Mr. Martin Scorsese turns on his TV to hear what's hot in the movies, he hears it right from me. That's a lot of responsibility, Reese. You sure you're up to the challenge? Oh, I'm sure. All right. And I'm sure we're going to hear about some great, great movies today. Yeah, the Oscar nominations have dropped. Um, I guess perhaps the best way to talk about this is there's a lot of movies that are just eating up a lot of the nominations. Of course, you know, let's get to the first one. Probably the most obvious one. Um, can we talk about Skeener's Purchase? Oh, Absolutely loved it. Divine film. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Just like and my I'm, name. I, I, I'm not talking about our, our good friend Clive Divine here. <laughs> I know a lot of times whenever the Oscar nominations come out and, you know, there aren't people who are professional movie reviewers who can see all these movies. Uh, brief recap of Skeener's purchase is about Archibald Skeener's quiet life in middle America. And while looks fulfilling on paper, his soul is tormented by an ineffable and unquenchable emptiness until one day when his friend, Mr. Eloquence played by common encourages him to build a treehouse that everyone in the neighborhood can use teaching him in the process that contentment and fulfillment are not the same thing. This movie was amazing. I felt like Richard Kind stole it. What did you guys think? Well, don't undersell Dodie Crisp as his wife, Mrs. Skeener. Mm-hmm. You know, I found just the most gnawing part of the movie, the part of Skeener's purchase that I was most excited about was the present. What was in the present? <laughs> I wanted to know so bad. Well, wait, wait, wait. Do you think that Skeener's purchase was whatever was in his present? Because I think that's a very superficial interpretation of the film. Yeah, Skeener, you know, Archibald Skeener, played by Richard Kind, was carrying around that present the whole movie. I thought that was... Is it a metaphorical? Well, it may he, have there been... was something in there. He kept saying, he kept alluding to it. You know what I think? I think he had an iPhone in there. Well, it's such a complex film because his purchase, it could be the new purchase on life that he got from his friend, Mr. Eloquence, played by Common. It could be the purchase of the property where he built the treehouse. There's just so many interpretations. That's why a film like this garners so many awards. There's so many layers to it. And I think what's so impressive about this film is it is the first, it's it's a direct directorial debut. We've had a lot of those on this list this year. We're going to be talking about that. But I was so impressed by Penn and Teller coming to us with this film. I didn't think they had it in them. <laughs> no. I didn't think they really... would ever make a film. And it is probably the most I mean it stuck with me. I saw it I saw it at Cannes. You guys were there with me. I saw it at Cannes. We stood there for 50 minutes straight clapping after it. 
we were all tired of clapping, but we had to keep clapping because we just thought it was amazing. Yeah, you're and right. Penn, Penn and Teller present to us middle America is not quite what it may seem to people on the surface. There's a lot of layers. There's a lot of nuance. There's a lot of seedy underparts. There's a lot of tenderness and compassion where you might not think you might find it, like in a treehouse. You know, I wasn't I wasn't going to bring it up, but I did see this movie in the can. Uh, I was on an airplane. I went to the bathroom and they had like a little screen in there now, like you have on the seat back in the airplane. I just sat in that bathroom for an hour and a half watching the dang movie because it was so good. I was so captivated. I also want to say that I did watch the movie in the can. I was getting arrested for a DUI and they were <laughs> playing it in the jail cell. They found that this movie actually calms down prisoners, which I found very interesting. Probably because it has so many motifs and so many themes and there's so many interpretations to it that anyone like what you're spellbound once you start trying to figure out what exactly is Skeener's purchase. What is the how purchase? Did you, how did you guys interpret, you know, when he goes, when, when, when Skeener goes to the botanical gardens and he starts talking to the statue uh, played by Dame Judy Dench? I think that was him going back to how growing up his, his mother wasn't. You know, always um, the best mom, but she tried her best and he missed her. And Dame Judy Dench, I mean, amazing as a statue. She doesn't move at all, but she talks. Mm-hmm. Her um, mouth does a little bit. Her mouth talks a little bit, but she I, I I thought they like just took a picture of her and then they just animated the mouth. But she actually did pose for that long. And, you know, uh, just shout out to the outfits in this movie. Um, especially common playing Mr. Eloquence. He dressed like a member of the Jedi council, you know, the entire (laughs) time with long flowing robes, very bold choice, but it ended up working. And you have a cast of a lot of very vibrant, uh, characters with, of course, you know, I got to give it to Richard kind as kind of being the most animated of them all. When Mr. Eloquence takes Archibald Skeener, um, to get a manicure and Skeener is like a guy getting a manicure. Like he's like, what are you in? in common is so good as Mr. Eloquence. He's like, trust me, this is what you need. And mm-hmm. Skeener, I mean, he has that sort of that aha moment at the salon. And I thought that was just so well done. I, I, I love the end where Jeremy strong as a thousand pound man has that nice monologue. That's about, um, it's very empowering. It's about, you know, being yourself and being the best mm-hmm. you can to others. And, just because I'm big doesn't mean I'm strong. I thought that was very beautiful, and because you know it's a play on the actor's name. But you know he's oh I didn't I didn't pick suit. that up. Act- oh yeah, you know that scene in the the salon that you're describing was so powerful because his supple and soft hands after he got that manicure, I think they were a deliberate contrast against Dame Judy Dench's. Uh, stone hands as the statue oh, in the botanical garden. Yeah. Oh, yeah. And that scene was so incredible, too, because do you remember that part in the botanical garden where he's walking out, he's leaving the garden, and he says to the attendant, I'll buy that statue, cash, and he throws 500 bucks on the table? That could be Skeener's purchase, too. We just don't know. Yeah, that's true. Well, we never see the end of the scene, so we never know if the purchase was accepted but well, uh, well, yeah, well, no purchase- we do see him driving home in his car and i think you can see a rope around the car implying that the statue is tied on the roof so i would believe that he did indeed take that statue home well let's not give too many spoilers out for skeener's purchase i'm sure there's some listeners who are who are tuned in right now who are gonna you know go right down there and look at it so uh and you got gotta see it noms. in imax you gotta see it in imax 
it got a lot of noms. So, you know, congratulations to uh, Skeener's purchase. I think we're expecting some trophies for you later. Uh, moving up to the second movie that got a lot of attention at the Oscars. Let's talk a little bit about American Pussy. Now, this movie was just fun. I'm sorry. This is just this is good American movie fun. Uh, a mild-mannered nerd gets held hostage by terrorists. There's just one problem. He's the best beggar of all time, and he thought he was retired. So the whole time they're trying to orchestrate this, their terrorists are, you know, the played by uh, uh, the lead terrorist is of course played by Chris Rock. He plays Cyber Falcone, um, <laughs> great villain, great villain in this. And of course, we have to give the shout out uh, as the beggar being played by the star of the film, Salt Burn. So you know, Salt Burn the whole time he's begging Chris Rock, don't kill me, don't do this, I'll suck you. He's snitching on the other hostages, he's crying, getting snot everywhere. Um, you know, and spoiler alert, you might see Salt Burn eat a big dirty diaper in this one. So well, he's not the only it, one though, because I thought that. that Amy Schumer shined as the easily tricked hostage. She joined him right there eating those diapers. I mean, he wasn't the mm -hmm. only one. Let's say that. And she didn't well, she even get, get to, you know, she doesn't get to be free, but he does. Right. I thought it, I thought Chris Rock was amazing. You know he wore a real eye patch for this film? Did you know that? Oh yeah. Oh my and god. I didn't the expect him to be a villain, you know, especially after the events in which Will Smith hit him. Oh, you know, my at god. you know, at the the famous mm. incident at the at the Oscars. I didn't think of that. I didn't make that connection. Yeah, and uh, so you're crazy. thinking, okay, you know, you wouldn't expect to see this man as a as a lead terrorist who's really taking charge, but uh, you know, the 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 film shows about 100 execution style murders <laughs> by Chris Rock. So really, the whole movie, you know, Salt Burns avoiding trouble, and and you know, Chris Rock is just gunning down hostage after hostage. I don't know why, uh, you know, it explores a little bit about the relationship between the terrorists and the cops, and of course. We we have uh, a, a kind of a, a surprise role. Nobody really saw this coming. Uh, Britney Spears playing Detective Barbara Einstein. Yes, we would be remiss if we didn't miss that. If we didn't mention that side plot. Yeah, she's trying to track down what's going on in there this whole time. Like, you know, the room's locked in there. She can't get in, but she's, uh, you know, she's really doing her best to figure this thing out. And in the end, she doesn't figure it out, but she does a great no. job trying. I thought and the Britney negotiations are great because it's Cyber Falcone talking mm. to Britney Spears and he's like, you know, we need two dirty diapers in here. And she's trying to figure out what could they possibly need, you know, dirty diapers for. It turns out Saltburn, you know, oh, the, I'm sorry, the actor Saltburn, his character's name is The Beggar. Um, the actor Saltburn actually ends up eating those dirty diapers, you know? So it's a lot of stuff going on there. And, and they, they were really real dirty diapers too. It wasn't like chocolate on there. Well, yeah, I, I thought mean, Britney was stellar. Um, apparently, um, a lot of her lines, they did ADR, actually some of it being AI, which is amazing because it's not a, oh, you wouldn't cool. know, but they had to do that because she was on the set for one day for her scenes and she set it on fire. Um, oh yeah, I do see, remember seeing that. So they scene. had to, they had to rework some stuff, but I, I thought it was great. Um, I thought she was perfect for it. I thought salt burn when he 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 eats his toenails oh yeah i thought that was he said you know there you know mr you know cyber falcone there's no reason to to kill me i'm i'm worse than that already i'm eating a dirty diaper i'm eating toenails what could be worse than this you know and then like is it he works. is he the american pussy like is the beggar the pussy is he actually american because i believe that his his 
Saltburn, the actor, is Irish, and I'm not sure. Maybe it's a maybe it's like Sexy Beast, like the the title is just you know. Uh, I don't know. I don't know who the American pussy was, but maybe we're the pussy. I think, uh, you know, actually, I think that Saltburn is the American pussy because he keeps telling Cyber Falcone that you can treat me like one if you want. He says you can spit on me. He said you can use me like an old baseball glove. He said you can wrap me up and put me in the garage overnight. Whatever you want to do to me, Cyber Falcone, you can do whatever you want. You know, Clive, earlier you mentioned... uh that Britney Spears, you know, had those great AI assisted dialogue, but you know, she had some lines that were such good zingers. They couldn't have been written by AI. Like you just couldn't come up with this stuff where when she's on the phone with cyber Falcone trying to negotiate the situation and she calls him toxic. That's just something that Britney fans are going to understand. Oh yeah. That's like a little wink. It's a little wink to those Britney heads. And then like when she's pretending that, um, one of the terrorists uh, has been beating her and she tells the, her her partner, um, the other detective to hit her and then she says it doesn't look enough. She just hit me one more time. It's like that's another wink. It's like incredible. Mm-hmm. The AI, I mean, if the AI did that, that I mean, that would, that would my God. Mind. I mean, AI I, are gonna I, be, I, we're going to have an AI directing a movie soon. Uh, best director, the AI, <laughs> right? That's going to be amazing. I heard that, you know, during the filming of this movie, you know, you said there was the tumultuous on set uh, appearances of Britney Spears. I believe that they eventually just put a large control rod that was about 10 feet long and they attached it to the back of her detective bulletproof vest. And they were able to just push her around the scene however they wanted, sort of like a marionette. (laughs) You know, that combined with, you know, peanut butter and then green screen technology, you can really just have her kind of eating the peanut butter moving around and you can get it all in post. Well, perhaps we should move on to the next big film, Wavelength. Yes. Oh, what's not to say about Wavelength? This this one really pulls at your heart. It's a tugger, yeah. I mean. It's a little political too, though. Bring the tissues. Talking about big issues. I need an extra large popcorn and an extra large box of Kleenex. Mm Mm-hmm. A coming-of-age tale for a relatively old man, Wavelength is a story of prejudice, reflection, and growth. Andy Richter plays a tattoo artist named Kelsey Fring who has to overcome his prejudice by tattooing a gay man. After extensive therapy and a little divine intervention, we're left wondering just one thing. Will Kelsey Fring realize that he is homophobic because he is nervous about having a girl's first name? I won't spoil it for you. I mean, but there's Kelsey Grammer as an in. actor, so I don't know why he would. Is that why he's? Pre- I don't know. I think he's just maybe he wasn't. Fam- he does, like, maybe his. I don't think his character watched movies and TV much. He didn't know about Kelsey Grammer, probably. Mm-hmm. He was a tattoo artist. It says at the beginning. Yeah, he you know, probably he knows really more about, about um, anchors and skulls and and people's mm-hmm. moms. Mom, I guess heart a heart that says mom in it is probably more what talk? he knows. I mean, Richter is. It's a, it's a, it's, it's a, it's a clinic. He puts on a clinic in this, but can we also talk about the, the supporting cast? Oh my God. Oh yeah. Oh my God. Yeah. Really? This movie's kind of made, you know, the Andy Richter is the titular character, Kelsey Fring, uh, you know, he's really kind of made by the extended cast. And I want to give a shout out, um, to Enos Canner who plays the gay guy. I heard he really got that Betty Boop tattoo in real life. Yeah, that's commitment to a role right there. It's just like Chris Rock wearing an actual eye patch. It's like amazing what actors will do for their art. 
And then, you know, every time they introduce like a sympathetic character, uh, you know, then they'll have, you know, a guy like Mr. Beast come in as the prejudice crossing guard. Everyone knows knows who that is. My kids love him. I love him. I I thought that that scene was just so important, you know, in an election year, you know, Donald Trump's back in the news. It's so important to show this side of America where the prejudice crossing guard is like, I won't even help a gay guy go across the street. And Andy Mm -hmm. Richter's like, I won't tattoo a gay guy. And to hear that kind of like Frank discussion like this stuff happens we don't want to pretend like this doesn't exist but it exists and it's important to see how these kind of prejudices manifest in our society you know and you know it's it's about like you know the micro scale it's about andy richter and as kelsey fring being nervous about how he says it about nervous about this incident knowing that he doesn't want to get labeled as homophobic but struggling with the discomfort i mean of course he gets a lot of help from uh, uh, uh his therapist played by the amazing joe satriani wow well he doesn't only get help from his therapist because the I therapist thought, can only do so much. I thought Cat Williams as the Archangel Gabriel was phenomenal. <laughs> I thought it was amazing when he showed up with all that light and so <laughs> funny. And the outfits were so cool. And he was basically like, look, there's gay guys in heaven. We don't even have a problem with that. So you got to just chill out and give this tattoo to this gay guy. Mm-hmm. And, and, and you know when cat when cat message. says that line like he's he says that line he's like it's just a tattoo you don't have to suck his dick and then kelsey kind of like laughs you know because he's like realizing how stupid he's been yeah you know and and then you know there's a lot of fan service kind of funny moments in it as well you know when kelsey fring is trying to talk to the archangel uh gabriel in secret in his bedroom and then uh mr beast as the prejudice crossing guard opens the door and says something rude and cat william touches him and he bursts into flames on the tip of the nose you know i thought that was really funny like you know the movie's a little bit telling us what's right and what's wrong and and it's nice to have such a witty light moral movie um and i think the you know we really needed something like this there's this also country. like some good subtlety in the movie too though cuz at the end when enos cantor as the gay guy walks out of the tattoo parlor with his new tattoo he walks across the street and he sees the prejudice crossing guard and they just kind of wink and nod and he helps him cross. Like even he's well, changed, you know? And then Enos Cantor, you know, his, well, his character is the gay guy. Um, after he winks at the prejudice crossing guard, you know, we see, you know, another subversion of expectations where he walks right into the GOP Republican headquarters. And we realize, <laughs> oh, the gay guy, you know, he's, you know, he was a Republican the whole time, which is like, and everybody goes, what? You know, makes you think. Uh, Mm-hmm. Makes you think. It's a thing. I mean, that's a thing. Mm-hmm. And, you know, Joe Satriani, uh, as, you know, super funny as the therapist, playing his guitar the whole time. Um, you know, Kelsey's, like, struggling with this. And, you know, his therapist Joe Satriani's just like, why don't you just listen to Gabriel, you know? And uh, it, it's just super fun. Um, I really think this movie, you know, is a dark horse to win a lot. You know, it's not the hammer drama, big, you know, kind of emotional heart stringing movie, but it's just a delicate film put together expertly. So moving on to the next big movie here, I'm really excited to talk about this one. Cabo Calamity 2, Body Shots on the Beach. Mm -hmm. This is a sequel to a little known 2006 spring break comedy called Cabo Calamity. But this thing really puts a twist on it. It's it's artsy. It's thoughtful. It's got some big names. Previous Oscar winners are in here. 
What starts as a salacious spring break romp turns tense as a tornado, played by Idris Elba, is spotted off the coast of Cabo San Lucas. But this isn't just any tornado. This is a Category 69 tornado that's going to blow off everyone's clothes. I hope nothing <laughs> horny happens. And the plot's just as tumultuous as the weather. That's yeah, right. I mean, this movie is fun. You start off in this movie, everyone's talking, dancing, then it turns into a disaster movie. And then you see everyone running away from this tornado and their clothes getting blown off. And then you wouldn't believe it. Oh my God. I had to fan, I had to take a cool drink of ice water while I was watching this movie. I might want to pour it on my head because the second they get their clothes blown off, it makes them want to screw. Yeah, it's like, you know, the problem with a lot of these movies during the heyday in the 2000s when you had all these kind of like teen comedies was that they always got these nobodies playing them because it's all these young actors. You never heard of them. They're not very talented or good. In this movie, they just went right for the A-listers. I mean, Dame Judi Dench as Jessica Bikini. Yeah. Steve Zahn as Daxler did great. Daxler, great role. Kate Blanchett as Susie Thong, incredible performance. You know, really, I think the only people they didn't do any of the de-aging CGI to was Drew Carey and Martin Scorsese, who played the horny grandpa duo. Oh, that's right. Martin Scorsese was excellent as horny grandpa number two, by the way. Little cameo there for film buffs, you know? Wonderful. And, and uh, you know, I, I know we haven't mentioned him much, but he showed up in a lot of movies. Uh, we got Johnny Hardbody here as the new bio lifeguard. I, oh feel my, like I he think he's going steam, places. I'll tell you that much. You think, like, how do they get all these people to do these kinds of movies? And, I mean, they all want to be on that Sorkin, you know, that Sorkin poster, you know? this That's is right. Sorkin, as, as the screenplay here, he just made that thing sing, you know? Mm-hmm. And, you know, as the movie progresses, you know, everyone's clothes are getting blown off and all of a sudden it's just down to Dame Judi Dench and Steve Zahn. And you realize, wow, the two people that were able to keep their clothes on, well, they were the only ones who found true love in the end. So, right. And then they take their clothes off. Typical horny romp. You know, you know, unfortunately, this movie did underperform at the box office. Um, it turns out a spring break teen themed <laughs> movie starring actors and actresses exclusively in their 50s and above probably wasn't the smartest idea box office well, wise. But, but you see that a lot with these Oscar worthy films like film. Oscar Oscar films don't necessarily gross the most. They're just the most profound. They speak to the human spirit. Right. So maybe something like Pixar sodas. Yeah, it made a lot of money. But it didn't really have that like deeper level. It's empty calories. It's just schlock, yeah. Well, you know, as the movie progresses, uh, let's get down, you know, let's drop Cabo Calamity 2 there and talk about, you know, uh, an enormous bombshell directorial debut by Barack Obama himself, um, non-documentary straight screenplay, wrote the screenplay as well. Tears for My Soldier. I mean, wonderful film. Wonderful, beautiful, powerful. haunting movie. That's that's you all know? I can say. It's powerful. You know, if you compare this to something like Wavelength, I mean, this is deeper. It's it it it's more serious. It's more dramatic. Um, you know, essentially, you know that we the story takes place in a desolate midwestern town. Father Peace Shootwell, who's played by. Ryan Stiles, who does amazing, amazing, incredible turns from comedy to drama here. He couldn't have done it better. I I didn't think he had it in him two years ago, but now, you know, I've been proven wrong. I heard he got actually sick for this role. Like he had a cold. 
Mm-hmm. Well, they filmed. He did. He tried he to got, enlist in the military actor. too, but they said a he's too old and b he's too Canadian to enlist in the U.S. military. Father Peace Shootwell worries about his daughter fighting in the big war while he is hiding from her a deadly illness he got from a poisonous fog that's circling the town. While his doctor and best friend Luke Breakfast, played by uh, none other than Daniel Day Lewis, mind you, returning yeah, to the silver screen. Yep, yep. When when Obama called him up, he's like, "Yeah, I'm coming out of retirement, of course." Luke Breakfast tries to convince Peace to tell his daughter that he's sick. She's fighting her own battle as well. Lieutenant Corporal Sally Shootwell, played by Sidney Sweeney, well, she's having an affair with her commander, General Corbin Bloor, played by uh, the immaculate Stanley Tucci, um, which that love affair of Sidney Sweeney and Stanley Tucci, uh, check please, <laughs> <It's>, <laughs> if you know what I it's mean. It's kind of incredible what what Obama does with the narrative and storytelling, like, this father is is deadly ill, deathly ill, and he he is dealing with the fog of his town while his daughter is dealing with the fog of war. That's and you right. know, very deliberate artistic decisions by Barack Obama. The entire film's in black and white. Um, you know, the only thing that you can see in color the whole movie is uh comes from the lollipop salesman that was played by Margot Robbie and then Johnny Hardbody another appearance of Johnny Hardbody here uh playing as lollipop salesman number 2 i mean those lollipops show up at a formative moment you know as peace is thinking about you know sending his daughter off to war when she was only a young girl <laughs> you know he sent her a lollipop said it's going to be okay but you now know, that scene's so powerful it it sparks a flashback for Peace Shootwell, where he remembers going to the tombstone of his friend who died in war. And just a little Easter egg for the Obama heads out there. If you look at that tombstone, it's actually for Obama's dog, Bo, who you might remember from the White House back in the day. Yeah, Tears for My Soldier is really coming in strong. I mean, I know a lot of people have it set for best movie, so big things expected here did very well in the nominations. Well, speaking of the nominations, maybe we got to get to them. We need some analysis here, don't we? The people yes, are craving it. Yes, that's true. Let's you know, go the average over. person you guys have been waiting long enough. The average person can't watch as many movies as us, right? Like to keep up with movies, you'd have to see three, even four movies a week to keep up with this stuff. That's too many for the average person. Anyone that's watching more than one film a week is probably a no life loser. But we get paid to do it, so, so we do okay. it. So you don't have to. So let's start with the first subject that will be uh, brought up in the Oscars. Best original song. Got five nominees. are all great here. I mean, let's start off with uh, Common uh, doing the song Morning Semblance from Skeener's Purchase. I mean, it comes in a pivotal part of the scene. You know, there's no other, you know, rapping done in the entire movie. So it almost strikes you as a surprise when it goes from like being a narrative dialogue based film to almost a musical for one scene. But Morning Semblance is great. He's wearing his Jedi Master clothes. He's got his Kangol hat on and he's laying it down um, to Richard Kind, telling him exactly what's up with the president. It's a really so, sweet moment between the friends. It's a, it's a great song, um, you know, real hip hop. You know, by guys who were bored doing it. Smart in the 90s. lyrics. 
Yeah, really. You know, not like the, you know, G- n- n- not, you He's know, not n- talking about bitches and hoes and not money. About I'm jeans. sorry. He's not talking about cars. You know, he's talking about real stuff like reflections, you know. So shout to Common. Uh, that's a great option there. Uh, the second nominee we have is uh, Charles Austin, Nate Russ, and uh, Raina Doris for All the Bubbles in the World from Pixar Sodas. I didn't care for this song, but it's clearly intended for children. Um, people that enjoy it are most likely children. My kids um, like listening to it in the car. That was about it, though. Yeah, I've heard this fucking thing in the car about 700 times. I'd be happy if I never heard it again. But you know what? I see. You're right. I see where it's coming from. These little kids, they can't get enough of it. Well, let's move on to what many consider to be the favorite to win is Jack Harlow with Pimp Hand from the movie <laughs> Evil Pimp versus the World. <laughs> uh, the song, song is all it's a romp. Tude. It's a romp. It's fun. It's got attitude. It's got, it's that got beat. swagger. Yeah, it's got a crazy beat. I'll give it that. The music video does make a Brad Pitt cameo from the movie, or they might have used footage from the film Evil. I believe they did to save money. The world. <laughs> Loved it. Love it. Incredible. But, uh, Jack Harlow is going from places. that movie later, Evil Pimp vs. the World. That's not the last time you've heard this in the noms. What else? Next up, we have uh, the Fratellis, Going Bananas, an original song from Donkey Kong's Bachelor Party. It's good to hear from the Fratellis. It's been a long time been since quiet. we heard Chelsea Dagger, you know? <laughs> yeah. Or I guess any other. They were cooking up other bananas that everybody this, knows really well. I love the video where they're film. like, they're like dance, like they're playing their thing, and Donkey Kong and all his friends are like just partying and go, they're going bananas. I really enjoyed really Donkey are. Kong's Bachelor Party in general because it's one of those movies, yeah, you might think it's for kids, but it really has a lot of stuff for adults in a way that I felt that Pixar sodas like didn't really, you know? And particularly the whole second half of the movie when they actually get to the uh, to the Bachelor Party. Sure, while it may be for gorillas more so than humans, it is still <laughs> yeah. a Bachelor Party. There's a very gratuitous like, shot of these, these chimp strippers where it's trying to There's sexualize There's no naked women at all, but still it's for adults only. Please they don't bring actual, your kids. They taught chimps to pole dance for this movie. The first 30 minutes the kids can watch. After that, you you got to get those kids out of there because those chimps are coming in and they're lady chimps. And they're, they gave them they're, real liquor, too. Those lady chimps will do anything. Well, rounding out the category, you know, we were talking about Tears for My Soldier, Obama's directorial debut, and this song from the film Fog of War by Luke Bryan and The Weeknd. It's something a little it's actually a little bit more of a ballad than I was expecting, but it captures like the serious tone of that film quite well. Yeah, you have kind of like the you know, the, <clears throat> the glory of war and that sort of love for your country from Luke Bryan. Then you have sort of the sexy forbidden romance of Sydney Sweeney and her CO with the weekend coming in with that kind of R and B sound. And it's kind of a really weird mix. <laughs> I, d- I didn't but really it get works, it. But I, did, it works. I don't know if it works. Love the you movie. Know, it, Didn't know if this one landed for me. It did feel a little bit forced. I mean, that's why we're talking about Jack Harlow winning with Pimpan rather than that. But still a great song uh, made specifically for the movie. And you know Obama's going to put that on his best songs of the summer list. Yeah. Who, who do we got here? Um, like, John, I agree with you that I think Jack Harlow, Pimp Hand, that is, that is going to take it all. That is, mm-hmm. yeah, love. Incredible MPS. song. 
you know that's uh it, you know that that movie starts i remember seeing uh evil pimp versus the world and when leather lizard jumps out of the 18 wheeler and uh they play pimp hand i was like uh, uh we got a movie on our hands yeah, here so, folks some so. people might think it's an unconventional choice but they played this song in full five times throughout the movie and i was <laughs> more and more excited each yeah time. they really squeeze it for what i mean i mean i i i have it on my ipod well, it's good. It's, it's, I think it's here to stay because the number one challenge on TikTok right now is the random slap challenge, and they're playing this song <laughs> in the background while it happens. Eat your heart out, Will Smith. All right, let's move up to the next subject, something that always has its own fan base. Let's look at best animated film, starting off with uh, Little Bill Cosby's Labor Day Adventure. Well, I wasn't mean, that cartoon we, called Little Bill, not Little Bill Cosby back in the day? Yes, it was. They made a decision um, with the Little Bill franchise to explicitly state their connection to Bill Cosby so that people would not be taken in by the fact that it is Bill Cosby later if they think it's just a cute little boy. When in, in reality, that little boy is based off of future monster Bill Cosby. But keep well, in mind, this is when he's still a little boy. He's, past he's not now. a monster in this film. He's just a little boy. And right. the it's the Labor Day Adventure, which might be, you might think it has something to do with labor history or teaches you about labor, but it just happens that that's a day off at school and he just has fun with his friends and Labor he Day gets, never well, comes he gets, up once. He gets stuck in a tire in the tire. Think of it as like river. Ferris Bueller's Day Off with a child, Bill Cosby. Mm-hmm. He's lost in the woods and then he's got to go find his friends. And, uh, you know, if you want to plop the kids in front of this, you know, and run some errands, you know, they'll sit and watch the whole thing. So let it do a little parenting for you. Great film. And of course, next up on the list, you've already heard from it with the Fratelli's going bananas, of course, is Donkey Kong's bachelor party. Wonderful film. Again, I thought it was just Not above and children. beyond. Yeah. <laughs> Get your children out of the theater after the first 30 minutes and lock them in the car so you can finish the movie. Yeah. But this Cranky thing Kong actually ties up one of the chimp strippers and one in a scene that I and I thought was a very bold decision for Nintendo. I mean this the the actual cinematography in this is incredible because these are real chimps that they give real mm -hmm. liquor and they're only going to do it once, right? So the last hour of the film is one continuous shot. No edits, no cuts, nothing. It's just a real chimp party in a real strip club and they There's took a, a bunch lot of female chimps. They gave them a little ecstasy and they pushed them out. <laughs> one, <laughs> and it's one filmed. camera, one shot. Uh, but yeah, I mean, a lot of bold decisions. The French love it. The French have been going nuts. It, it cans. They they didn't show any other movies after Donkey Kong's Bachelor Party. They just kept <laughs> replaying Donkey Kong's Bachelor Party because the French liked it so much. <laughs> And of course, a little heard of movie named Pixar's Sodas for best animated film. You know, for best animated uh, film, they like to throw a couple box office, you know, crowd pleasers on here. I can't see it. Pixar really hasn't had the magic since like the days of Toy Story and everything. I just don't see this one winning. No, I don't see much coming. And of course, our international film that's a uh, uh, Pierce, the best animated film top five, Mes Tole et Moi a French-Canadian film uh, about a man's friendship with his toilet. Um, beautiful mm. movie, if you haven't seen it. Um, the toilet drinks wine, the toilet cries, the toilet has lovers that it's mournful about. Um, you know, I found it to be a little too understated, though. Yeah. And the man slowly starts to realize that his, his toilet has lived more of a life than he has. 
and uh, that's that's beautiful. There's weird I feelings of it- jealousy. There's feelings of regret, but the movie is about forgiveness. He forgives his toilet. Even in the uh, um, courtyard scene, after he gets back from drinking all that liquor in the courtyard and he throws up in his toilet, you know, we think for a second the lid comes down and seemingly pats him on the back. So well, you can okay. tell there's real friendship there. I wasn't a huge fan of this film, but there was a scene that I really appreciated when the man is talking to the toilet about uh, his girlfriend at the time, and he he shares with the toilet some... Uh, scatological foreplay that he got into with his girlfriend that involves some pee pee and poo poo. And the toilet is so jealous. The toilet was very, very jealous of like, I thought you shit in me, you know? So I thought that was an interesting (laughs) dynamic to explore between a man and a toilet. I did too. I I also thought that was interesting. Beautiful film. I loved it. It's a dark horse for me. It might win. Um, But rounding out, this was the big budget animated biopic that everyone was waiting for. Call Me Jim, the James Dean story. Um, Wonderful, absolutely wonderful film. You know, technically this one didn't start as an animated film, but in order to get Tom Hanks to look like James Dean convincingly, this man who's well into older age now to to play this man who died quite young, they had to use so much de-aging technology and all these special effects that it actually qualifies as an animated film at this point. Mm -hmm. They had the Irishman uh, Tom Hanks up so much, it actually added another $110 million to the film budget, which was originally only $10 million. Money well spent, though. that's when it was live action. Because a lot of folks, you know, younger folks these days, they're asking, who was this James Dean guy? Mm -hmm. And now they know. Sausage man? Now that's easy... You can now watch a movie to find out who James Dean was. It's nice to see Tom Hanks go back to his roots, like with his first film, Toy Story. So I was really mm-hmm. happy about this one. I thought it was um, charming. All right. Well, who do you guys got for best animated film? Call it. I mean, I I'm going to have to go with Donkey Kong's Bachelor Party. Me too. It's not really animated since there's live chimps in a live strip club first half the camera animated. rolling that's true the first it's partly half animated. animated the part that i like really? the first is, half of the is movie the is donkey part. kong going from barrel ba- to barrel to get to his bachelor party and then it turns <laughs> into a live action monkey sex movie i thought it was great i thought it was something maybe like harmony kareen might have made um i don't know who directed this i think the name is not on the movie whoever directed it took the name <laughs> off it but um, I couldn't I imagine it. why. <laughs> I'm going to go with little Bill Cosby's Labor Day Adventure. I don't know why. I just have a good feeling about it. All right. Well, maybe we should move on to best director then. Um, oh, yeah. Now we're in the hot shot categories. We're getting a little up there now where the serious awards are going to say and might as well start with the favorite Barack Obama for Tears for My Soldier. Mm. Yeah, we've already said enough about that. I mean, fantastic directorial debut. I mean, his use of space and imagery, his his use of black and white, Motifs. his deliberate artistic decisions throughout it. The Dutch um, angles he uses are wild. Mm hmm. I mean, Dutch angles, German angles, Korean angles. He gets them all in there, you know, and he really is great at, uh, you know, capturing the quiet desperation of uh, people he never talks to or wants to look at. Um, But, you know, we got some old names on the list as well with Noah Baumbach for 18-wheeler shootout. Oh, yeah, a veteran, veteran director. You know, kind of a different move this time, going for the 18-wheeler shootout. It wasn't really rewarded by the Academy. This is Noah's only nomination. Well, he deserves it, though. I think I think he did his best with the material, you know? Mm-hmm. You know, 18-wheeler shootout, essentially heat, 
where everyone's driving 18 wheelers. It's about an 18 wheeler heist. Very cool movie. A lot of people thought it would be a little Michael Bay esque, but Noah puts his own kind of twee spin on the action movie. (laughs) So this next nominee, another first time director, me thinks that him and his friend Barack Obama must've made some kind of pact that they were both going to make their directorial debut this year. Bruce Springsteen for Evil Pimp versus the World. Mm-hmm. Incredible. You didn't think he was going to go this direction. He nailed it. Who um, would have thought? Soundtrack. Like, Tears for My Soldier is exactly the kind of film I would expect Barack Obama to make. But Evil Pimp versus the World, Bruce Came out Springsteen with a sleeper hit. Oh my God. This thing made about uh, close to a billion dollars internationally. The Chinese loved it. Um, oh, yeah. I think he's going to be doing a tour based on this film. Um, the film star Brad Pitt is going to be probably touring. I mean, with they're them, already in pre-production on the second one. I mean, oh my this God. could be the start of a franchise. I thought too, the soundtrack was so electric because Springsteen knows music. Like he didn't put any of his own music in here, but he got Jack Harlow to come out and do that song. I mean, like it's just electrifying. <laughs> Jack Harlow like- killed it with pimp hand. Um, that's the song. That's all I've been listening to at the gym. That song. Yeah. I've been watching that movie again. I'll get on a plane and they, I'm like, do they have evil pimp for this world? Yes, they do. And I'll watch it like twice on one flight. I'll watch it on the can just like I watched that I, other one. I just want to give him props on the fight scene between evil pimp versus leather lizard. Um, leather lizard played by Brad Pitt, evil pimp played by Matt Damon, of course. And that fight scene where they're both in bullet time, they're both doing sideways flips. They both have jet packs. They both have swords. <laughs> They're constantly ripping each other's armor off and getting down and giving each other haircuts with how close the blade was. I didn't even realize that fight scene was 45 minutes long. I thought it was five <laughs> minutes. It's yeah. 45 yeah, this minutes is a, long. This, is, this movie is about 227 minutes total. It flies and by, you, though. You, Fastest 227 minutes of my life. I mean, I didn't know that Mr. Springsteen was such a student of film. Because obviously he's seen The Matrix, you know, he's seen all of these iconic films and he kind of merged them onto his own thing that pays homage, but it's distinctly Springsteenian, you know? Mm-hmm. I mean, there's lots of interesting characters in Evil Pimp vs. the World, Street Samurai, who's in the rollerblades and <laughs> sword fights in the rollerblades. I mean, it's just, it, it's cool. He came up with a unique, inventive movie that's just cool. So, you know, a lot of people think he might have a shot. And, and even you know, though he's, he's, the only he's one. working on the, the sequel, obviously, um, it, there's word that he might not direct it. He might just be producer. We don't know yet, but he's also given words in interviews um, in his podcast with Barack Obama. He talked about... Um, he is in the early production phases of making the Bella Lugosa story starring Jonah Hill. So that's going to be kind of interesting to see too. So I think, I think we got a new, um, we got a new competitor every year with Bruce Springsteen, new auteur, but uh, uh, this this next directorial debut is pretty big too. Amy Schumer for the vote, the 2024 story, very timely film here. I heard it's the most ele- important election of our lifetime. That's what the movie hear. tells me. That's what I heard, too. Is that true? That's true? Well, it's nice to hear that in the form of a movie, so you know it's true versus just some person saying it, you know? So Amy Schumer, I mean, I'm, I, I, I got to admit I haven't seen this one. I, I, I haven't. Legally, you know, I'm not allowed to vote, so I didn't want to get too, you know, I didn't want to get, like, to invest FOMO. In it. Yeah. <laughs> you know? So uh, I'm sure it's great. I think she she should have teamed up with Barack Obama for this one, but you know, 
Maybe next time. Or maybe Maybe the 2028 election will be even more important. Her uncle Chuck Schumer, whatever he is to her, should have helped her. But maybe he did. I don't know. I didn't see it either. Um, I saw a lot of nice clips on TikTok. And um, best of luck to Amy Schumer. You know, I thought Bo Burnham did great as the ballot. You know, I thought that was really well done and subtle. Um, You know, kind of having Colin Quinn play the Republican votes and then having... um, you know, the redhead from what's her name, you know, the Susan Sarandon play the democratic votes. I thought that was really fun. Um, you know, I thought that the, well, it was like an animated was awesome. I thought that was super funny. Well, rounding out the best director category, we've got yet another debut from Jay Leno for his film Lightfoot, which is a biopic about Lori Lightfoot. What'd you guys think about this one? You know, I thought, you know, the movie kind of came out of left field. You know, I wouldn't have thought Lori Lightfoot was ready for a biopic yet. But then I was talking to somebody who said, yeah, you know, she's looking bad. You know, if she doesn't get the biopic in now, you know, who knows how long she's going to be kicking for. So I was like, OK, yeah, give her a biopic or whatever. And Jay Leno handled it really well. I thought, um, you know, he got the most out of CCH Pounder playing Lori Lightfoot. I thought that was amazing. Lori, I thought it was pretty spot on. And I think... Um, I don't know if we're going to talk about costume design at all today, but I think this movie takes costume design. I mean, oh, the, the yeah. first the scene where she it's her first day in office, Lori Lightfoot as mayor, and she comes into she comes into work dressed like Gimli from Lord of the Rings. The next day, she's <laughs> dressed as Tinky Winky. I thought oh, that yeah. the it was spot on, like all the crazy shit that Lori Lightfoot wears. The movie shows it. You know, even like you see a scene in Lightfoot and it's like, why is that puffy coat walking around by itself? And you realize Lori Lightfoot's in that puffy coat, you know, dialogue in this thing, too. Like for fans of politics, the dialogue is so snappy. There's lots of walk and talks like I almost thought Aaron Sorkin wrote this thing. But no, he was busy writing Cabo Calamity, too. Leno is just so funny. He's so sharp. The dialogue is just on point. Uh, he did a lot on this thing as the screenwriter and the director. And you know, though she, you know, uh, CCH Pounder does so well, especially in that te- in that scene where she's facing off with those evil teachers, and they're yelling and hissing and throwing blood at her. And you know, she's you know remaining so proud and strong and the correct decision to shut down the schools. So like I, you know, I thought that it was handled subtly. It's hard to do a political film with universal appeal, but you know, this one gets as close as you can get. I, I agree. And I think um I think, you know, Jay has a great um career ahead of him as a director, but I think um honestly it's probably gonna be Barack or Bruce. Mm-hmm. Yeah, well with with Lightfoot, I had to look this up after seeing the film. Did Lori Lightfoot talk that much about Monica Lewinsky in real life? Really? Uh, but yeah, it turned I out so. that was I think that was just Jay Leno actually putting his touch on it. I'm not sure. Yeah, but. she is about she, you know, Lori Lightfoot does go on a couple of monologues in the movie. That's you right. Know, she stops what she's doing and she looks right at the screen. She also drives a, a car in every scene from one of one of Jay's cars from his garage. So one scene she's driving an AMC Gremlin, one scene she's driving you know, classic Mustang. She's driving, you, you name it. She's driving a different car every scene, basically. She's, you know, the, she opens the scene driving in in that denim car. So uh, when it comes to best director, you know, we got a lot of names up there, some new ones, some old ones. Who you guys got? 
Like I said, it's going to be Barack or Bruce. May the best it's man true. win. I believe that the Academy is probably going to go for Obama because that movie is just a tour de force. But I personally think Springsteen with Evil Pimp versus the world. I've just never seen anything like it on the silver screen. I got to go with you know Springsteen and Evil Pimp versus the world. I mean, just yeah. I mean, I can't disagree. It was incredible. The use of color, the use of frame. I mean, everything is so the use of one liners meticulous. And next up, we have uh, we talked about writing the last uh, the last few films. We talked about best screenplay. I think. I mean, a lot of people that could take this. So yeah, of course I mean, we start Obama off with, of course, Barack Tears. Obama with Tears for My Soldier. I mean, that one's expected. Uh, 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 you know, Obama coming through on his first one. Um, you know, people talked a lot about the cinematography, not as much on the writing. So I really don't know the strength of this one. I haven't heard a lot of buzz on Barack Obama on the screenplay um, front. So really, I'm not sure what to expect here. And of course, we have Bradley Cooper. This was the only nominee for The Minstrel Show. Of course, a film about Jack Minstrel, who thinks he has it all until one day his life is turned upside down. Uh, he watches The Truman Show and realizes that he's in a Truman Show, too. And he realizes what the name of that show would be because his last name is Minstrel and he freaks out pretty bad. Pretty an good. interesting idea for a film. You know, it, it was hard to engage people for an hour and a half. Well, uh, as we mentioned earlier, Aaron Sorkin for Cabo Calamity 2, Body Shots on the Beach. I think that's a really strong, really funny screenplay. And it also said a lot about just kind of aging and, and love and, and everything and nudity, too. You know, it made a lot of brave decisions, the film. You notice in the screenplay, there's nowhere where it's written that this is for exclusively older actors. So I think the Academy's taking that into consideration, um, you know, in terms of the flaws of the movie. Well, there isn't that flaw in the screenplay. Aaron Sorkin may be taking home a trophy this year, if you know what I mean. What else? We got Ryan Reynolds for his screenplay for Wavelength. Uh, obviously said a lot about dynamics in America today. Funny, heart, something the family can watch, something individuals can watch, something couples can watch. Gay guys can uh, watch it. Straight guys can watch it. Everyone's going to learn something. Straight it's guys interesting can that watch it had an all male cast. Gay guys can get along more better. You know, that's, that's right. the power of wavelength. So there's know, one Ryan more dark Reynolds. horse, dark horse in this category though. LeBron James for his screenplay for NBA 2K24, the movie a dramatic interpretation of the game's career mode. Now, this mm -hmm. one was just on Hulu, but I thought it was pretty fun. Mm -hmm. It was fun. You know, we got to see the perspective from the main character, whose name was My Player. And, uh, you know, we really felt his anguish when, you know, he only went one for 12 on field goals and, uh, you know, didn't get the promotion from Chevron that he was looking forward to to his endorsements. But at the same time, you know, I was also... a I was a big fan of when my player was able to go to practice and run the playmaking drills three, four times in a row, you know, before they called a, a, an official team meeting for practice in which he would get times two skill points for. So, you know, there's a lot to like the movie itself. It wasn't as engaging as people hoped, but uh, apparently a lot of positive looks here for LeBron James for his first screenplay. Yeah. I look forward to more um, 2k movies from him. You know, personally for me, if I had to pick best screenplay, I'm going for Aaron Sorkin and Cabo Calamity 2. You know, while that isn't going to be my best picture, I do feel like the screenplay is super strong um, and that Sorkin should be rewarded for it. I agree completely. I think that Idris Elba's lines as the tornado are funny. They're quick. 
Uh, they're actually kind of intelligent too. Sometimes he knows a lot about just like meteorological phenomena and he talks about global warming and stuff as he's tearing all these clothes off these people on the beach. It's, yeah. It's, it's really like educational. You don't even realize it because you're laughing so hard. Yeah, that's right. And moving up now we're going to the serious ones. We got best supporting actress coming up. Okay. Uh, now we're getting into the real meat. Opening up this one with, we mentioned her earlier, her one day on set was able, might get her a trophy. Britney Spears is Detective Barbara Einstein in American Pussy. I mean, what's not to like? Yeah, like I said, the redone lines sound amazing. The AI did incredible acting um, using Britney's um, um, image and her voice. And um, I think that she has a solid shot, but I do like a lot of these picks on this list. It's kind of hard to narrow one down, you know? Yeah, we have Kate Blanchett as Susie Thong in Cabo Calamity 2. And, uh, you know, it's when she's name, running yeah. around, you know, there's a lot of serious moments, you know, when like Susie Thong is is pleading to the tornado, like... I. Like, please stop blowing my bikini off. There's a lot, you know, there's a lot of creepy looking guys here and they're all looking at me. And then the, the tornado window. says back to her, this kind of weather is becoming more common in this region as global temperatures rise. And then later on, when the uh, dust devil shows up, played by uh, Gilbert Gottfried's automated voice, um, she's chasing her thong around in circles going after that little dust devil. So there, she's able to play off sexy and funny and serious. So Kate Blanchett looking like uh, maybe a leader here. But she's got stiff competition from Melissa McCarthy as Jane Goodall in Chimpocalypse 3, Day of the Toucan. Mm -hmm. For those familiar with the Chimpocalypse series, of course, Melissa McCarthy is back in another installment. And Jane Goodall in the first movie, Chimpocalypse, was pretty close to a biographical truth. At this point, Jane Goodall is, I believe, a major in the army, and her They're job is a few to mow down liberties. She has like a but high end tight now, I saw in the trailer. I didn't see this one. I saw the first two films. Love them. Well, love Melissa. But I can tell that she killed it. The if, U.S. government recruits Jane Goodall because she knows all of the chimps' weaknesses. Is, is yeah, and if I you understand. pay close attention, you'll see a few of those chimps from Donkey Kong's bachelor party <laughs> as actors in this one. Yeah, some of them are still wearing the bikinis. They can't get them off of it. Um, they got too used to it. Of course, we have uh, you know one of the very few newcomers on this list, uh, Dodie Crisp as the Pope's girlfriend in The Pope's Wife. Yeah. Um, super dramatic role. A lot of trysts, you know, the the kind of attraction between I didn't know the, the Pope girlfriend. was so freaky and Dodie Crisp really mm -hmm. uh kind of showed the hurt of like the side piece for this freaky ass Pope, you know, the, you what know, she was going through. It's hard enough being the Pope's wife, you know, but when the Pope gets a girlfriend too, I can understand. And uh you know, Dodie Crisp really plays that well, you know, kind of a yeah. foot backwards, a foot kind forwards. Of a, the the sort of psychological and emotional process of just watching this Pope just fucking suck his way through the Vatican, leaving and uh, just a trail of destruction in his wake, really. And, you know, it's a, it's another one of those things that, you know, the Pope never really gets his just desserts. It's really the Pope's girlfriend, the Pope's wife, who have to, mm. you know, really deal with the trouble. But, of course, uh, rounding out Best Supporting Actress, uh, Dame Judi Dench is talking statue in Skeener's Purchase. Incredible in particular, scene. We talked the, about the it scene earlier. The scene I want to point out, too, is when Richard Kind's about to step in the dog do and the talking statue goes, uh, you might want to look down. And, and he uh, says, I thought that you, 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 you can talk. Mm -hmm. 
And, you know, when I see an actor take on the role of a talking statue, I don't expect much. But Dame Judi Dench really made this a character. She really did. That's why I got to say, I think Dame Judi Dench is uh, taking home the best supporting actress. Yeah. Yeah, I got to agree. Incredible performance. We got a consensus there. Maybe we should move along while we're ahead. Let's go to best supporting actor. Got a lot of good options in this one. Um, starting a lot of noms for this guy, Johnny Hardbody, best supporting actor as Pool Boy in Skeeter's Purchase. I mean, how many abs did he have? I could. I, was I lost there count. Counting them. I, I was trying yeah. to count. And I was going cross-eyed at Johnny Hardbody as Pool Boy in Skeeter's Purchase. But you know what? He had some lines and he said them t- good too. I can't remember any of the lines he said. I was trying to count the abs, but. Uh, I'm sure he said some good stuff. Like, what did he do in that movie? Uh, I think everyone's he jumps too busy on the looking trampoline. at his crazy body. He's kind of jumps on the trampoline the or something. Yeah, yeah, he's in the trampoline. The trampoline like that's right minutes. next to the pool. They could have had a diving yeah. board, but they used the trampoline instead. And then he's stretching. There's that movie. He's stretching in Skeeter's Purchase for like two, three minutes. Yeah. Well, don't he's count those, out this next contender though. Cat Williams as the Archangel Gabriel in Wavelength. I mean, stole the movie. I mean, can anyone say that, you know, Cat Williams wasn't their favorite part of that movie? He's yelling at him going, you know, he's doing the thing. You know, Archangel Gabriel was holding a microphone for some reason every time he came down. And every time Andy Richter said something stupid, Archangel Gabriel would like hit the mic against his forehead and pretend to stubble and go, come on, man. You know, he'd fall down. He'd drink water, chug it. Like it was just, it was so animated, so fun. And I just loved him in this movie. We all know that God runs such a tight ship up there in heaven that when his favorite angels have some time to come to earth, they like to let loose. And who knew they could be so funny? Who knew? I guess we all know now, but of course we have another nominee coming up for Johnny Hardbody as Lollipop Salesman number two in Tears for My Soldier. Almost as good as his performance as the pool boy in Skeeter's Purchase, to be honest. It's close. I think it's close, right? Yeah, I mean, I got to lean towards that, but you know, it's hard to outshine Margot Robbie, which he did as a Lollipop Salesman. He had at least twice as many abs as she did. Next nominee, guess what? It's Johnny Hardbody again as airline concierge slash hot tub attendant two in American Pussy. He was Mm -hmm. unforgettable in that role. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. He's the guy with the soft hands who comes out of the hot tub and slicks his hair back and then he kisses uh, Saltburn on the cheek. I remember that. Great looking Mm -hmm. guy. I don't remember. What were his lines? He said something about thanks. I don't know. He said like, thank you for coming to the hot tub or something. I think on the airplane, he was showing them how to um, buckle the seatbelt or whatever. Yeah. He didn't have a shirt on. So no one was looking. He's in those jockeys and he's holding that hockey stick with both hands behind his neck. And he's like posing like that. But I don't think he had any lines in that scene. I think he was just getting his picture taken by that guy in a thong. Well, he was great. (laughs) And rounding out the best supporting actor is Idris Elba as the tornado in Cabo Calamity 2 body shots on the beach. I think, you know, no disrespect to Johnny Hardbody, but this is my pick. It's almost like Johnny Hardbody had so many good performances that I can't pick between them. So I got to pick this one. I mean, that tornado was funny. It was scary. It was smart. It was so many things. And and it wasn't even a person. You know, how did he do it? I got to go with, um, I'm sorry, Cat Williams is Archangel Gabriel. Yeah, I mean, Archangel Gabriel was probably one of my favorite performances in years. All right, we're at some of the meaty ones now. We got Best Actress in the mix. Starting off, Lily Gladstone is the Pope's wife in The Pope's Wife. 
I mean, she did a beautiful and realistic portrayal about what it's like to be married to the Pope, how you got to wait for him to do all of his sermons, how he never cleans up anything. He's always leaving his Pope hat and his laundry on the bed. You know, it's a great shot of minutia at the highest levels and well, that let's kind not, of carnal unsatisfaction. Let's not forget that scene where the Pope's wife confronts the Pope's girlfriend. And there's this moment of catharsis where they both realize that while the Pope's out there getting his whistle wet all around the Vatican, they're mm-hmm. both suffering together. Like their girlfriend's not even necessarily like the enemy is what the wife realizes. It's more like the Pope. They suffer together. That they're like thing in his robes. Yeah. 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 It's very, very interesting. They're both very subtle, by this man. You know, very well done. Of course, we have Meryl Streep as seductive concierge and James Bond goes to Vegas. That's a wonderful one. Oh, she's Oh, great. I just loved Watching Meryl Streep and James Bond hit the slots was just so much fun. It's it's a there's real a lot romp. of slots in them. There's about 15 minutes of Meryl Streep playing slots with James it, Bond. Mostly Brandon. I never figured out who they get to play James too. Bond. It's just James Bond. I, I can't tell any of the James Bonds apart. Honestly, I, they couldn't just I was so like, suave. is that James Bond? I can tell that's Doesn't James matter to Bond. Me. As long as he's got a suit on and he's name. drinking a martini, I'm watching. You know, that's true. He did say shaken, not stirred. And he said, it's time to go to Vegas. So I was he said that while Meryl Streep was playing the shaken, not stirred slots machine. And it, and it was kind of funny because it was like a reference to what she was doing, too. Like, I really like the scene where he's driving the speedboat at like a top speed. And then like you see it like the exterior. Then they go to interior and he's playing video poker inside there. <laughs> <laughs> of course, we also have Dame Judi Dench getting a nomination for Best Actress in addition to Best Supporting Actress as Jessica Bikini in Cabo Calamity 2, Body Shots on the Beach. What more can you say? She's a legend for a reason. And, uh, you know, Barack Obama's project, Sydney Sweeney's getting a nod as Lieutenant Corporate Sally Shootwell in Tears for My Soldier. Um, she does amazing, especially in that low cut bulletproof vest in the Dubai scene. Um, you know, she's got, she's spraying down the whole side of the building. Um, really great. You know, crying I, I the whole time it she shoots. Amazing the that rifles. she's able to like, look so tough and badass as a soldier, um, fighting insurgents and she still has a full face of makeup. Like she has time to put on makeup. Oh yeah. And I didn't think they let soldiers, uh, fight in jeans. <laughs> well, it's a new army these days, you know, it's a new army. And of course, rounding out best actress. Everyone saw this coming. CCH pounder is Lori Lightfoot in Lightfoot. She wears the coats. She wears the hats that cover up her whole body. Um, amazing the physical scene, transformation the scene at the end where, um, she's she's meeting with all of her, her advisors right about that decision she has to make right before they go down to the um capital um she's wearing that scuba diving suit to be able to act in that cch pounder i mean uh, bravo bravo uh my favorite personally i'm going for cch pounder to win is Lori lightfoot and lightfoot i think i gotta go with dame judy dench as jessica bikini for cabo oh, calamity Two body choice. shots on the beach i think this that is i think this is her year yeah I think this is the first category where we all disagree, actually, because I'm going with Meryl Streep for her role as the seductive concierge in James Bond Goes to Vegas. I mean, well, she was mm-hmm. seductive concierge number three. That's it right. It was a that's strange right. deleting to not give her character a name, but have her in the movie for 55 minutes. Yeah, well, that's the mystique of Bond, right? It's kind yeah, of how James it, Bond she's sees a Bond women girl. That's that how way, it is, you know? right? Yeah. Moving along, we have Best Actor starting off the roster of fine fellas is Austin Butler as Fat Joe in the Fat Joe story. I mean, Austin you know, Butler, young guy, new to the new to the the tinsel town, the wood, um, killed it as Fat Joe. You know, the process of him having to become insanely fat 
on top of having to wear that fat suit. Um, oh yeah, and Mike Myers playing the, as those, the Ozempic pill. Yeah, well, that that whole scene where him and Big Pun wear those giant suits to that award show, and Big Pun was played by um, um, Jacob Eldori, man, I believe. Um, oh, you're right. They to get that big, they had to get back down because Joe. I mean, Big Joe lost for Fat Joe. Sorry, Big Joe. Fat Joe lost all that weight, right? So mm-hmm. Austin Butler had to get really big, then he get really small. It's like this guy became Elvis in real life, basically, and then he became Fat Joe in real life. Fucked up his health, has permanent health problems because of this. He's got permanent. gout. He has diabetes now. He said um, he his eye keeps falling out like he's a pug. Right, but I mean, he did great. But I think this is such a stacked list. This is so tough. No. You know, and then of course we got next up on the list Ryan Stiles getting his nod as Peace Shootwell from Tears of My Soldier. Um, you know, really great tear jerker performance of a uh, showcasing quiet desperation and dignity, re- making you unable to get better. Um, you know, the scene where he's yelling at Sidney Sweeney on the phone, he's like, Oh, I'm so sorry. You had to go off to war. Meanwhile, I'm here. I'm still here breathing in this poisonous fog every day. I wait for this fog to get me. And, uh, I don't think there's a dry eye in the theater. When I saw that Ryan styles, um, you got me, you, yeah, you had me crying. Whose award is it anyway? It might be Ryan's. Well, not so fast, though, because Brad Pitt as oh. Leather Lizard in Evil Pimp versus the World. I think I thought Brad Pitt was already famous, but I think this might be his breakthrough role. Like, I think, I think he might go to a whole role. nother level. This is now. Brad's year, I think, because I I love everyone on this list, obviously. But Brad Pitt as Leather Lizard in Evil Pimp versus the World is... Something people are going to be saying for decades. They're going to be, hey, remember Brad, Brad Pitt, Pitt as Leather Lizard in Evil Pimp versus the World. <laughs> That's right. Like people are not say, about, say no more. That's all you have to say. People go, I know. That's I know. All you have to say. But what do you guys think scene? of Andy Richter as Kelsey Fring in Wavelength? I mean, he did great. It was a good movie. I don't know if his performance can stand up to a lot of these titans. I mean, if yeah, you're I saying, agree. I mean, is, I thought is he Kelsey was Fring good. a leather lizard? I don't think so. I thought he was I'm good, but Brad. I think he was made really good by Cat Williams, and I kind of yeah. put that more on Cat Williams. So, Andy, love you. Hope to see more of you. Um, and Ennis Cantor killed it, um, but I think I think this one still goes to Brad. I'm sorry. Uh, rounding out the list of for best actor, you've seen his name here before. You'll see it again. Tom Hanks is James Dean and called me Jim. The James Dean story. I mean, the CGI is one thing, but Impressive still, his transformation. Voice, his performance uh, uh, permeates the whole movie. Uh, he plays a young man really well. Um, the leather jacket fits very good, even though it does clip. You can see some clipping on the jacket. Apparently, they had to add the jacket in post. You know, I think Tom Hanks has a bright future in this industry, but I'm going to have to give this one to Brad Pitt as Leather Lizard in I'm Evil have Pimp to versus also the World. Agree with you. I mean, it's between him and Ryan Stiles, but uh, I'm going to give it over experience. Uh, Brad Pitt as Leather Lizard in Evil Pimp versus the World. Uh, he, he really put on a masterclass in this film. Couldn't say couldn't say anymore. Like he's just great. So, please. You know this this award for so many years was called Best Picture. But this year they're renaming it Best Movie because it's obviously more accurate, right? Like it should have mm-hmm. been called Best Movie all along. 
Uh, yeah, there's a new award for best picture uh, for a different ceremony, and it went to the picture of LeBron uh, falling on the basketball court, and you can see his thong rip out. That award won, or that won best picture. This is for movies, so of course we have the nominees, the same ones you've heard, starting with Skeener's Purchase. What do you guys think? Well, maybe we should just read them all because we've already discussed all these films. We have Skeener's Purchase, American Pussy, Wavelength, Cabo Calamity 2, Body Shots on the Beach, and Tears for My Soldier. Here's what I'm going to say first. What a snub to Bruce Springsteen, to -hmm. Brad Pitt, to Matt Damon for Evil Pimp versus the World, to Jack Harlow. Where is the nom for best movie? I don't think they had it in them to give it to these newcomers like Springsteen and like Jack Harlow. You know, they wanted to give it to someone with a little more experience. And yet we see Obama up here. He has experience in office, but I mean, there's 10 think pieces right now about why Lightfoot deserves to be up there. I I think Barack has a fair shot for multiple awards, but I don't think that Tears for My Soldier beats out Skeener's Purchase. I think on this list, Skeener's Purchase is the most robust, brave, uh, complex. I mean, it has everything in common is just a force in that film. You know, if you compare these movies about what the Academy is looking for, Skeeter's Purchase is your, you know, typical dramatic kind of portrayal of American life. American Pussy is something more stylistic, more aggressive. Wanklade is something more, you know, sardonic, kind of slow developing, cynical, but hopeful at the end. Cabo Calamity 2 is a romp. Tears for My Soldier really strikes me as the film that is the quintessential best movie in terms of artistic expression and uh, public response. I, I I mean, as much as you want to poke holes in the film, I mean, I can't see anything going over tears for my soldier. Obviously nothing on this list is as strong as the green book. Well, look, the Academy may agree with you, but I'm going to go with Clive and say that Skeener's purchase is the best film of the year. I got to go tears for my soldier. I guess we're going to have to figure out and see. Well, I mean, we'll we got to agree to disagree. Maybe we'll make a little March. wager among friends, you know? Hey, I'll make the popcorn. <laughs> All right. That's going to wrap up Oscar me ood by Oscars. We got our picks in the list. We want to hear from you. What do you think of Skeener's purchase? What do you think about the dog do scene in American pussy? What do you think about the tornado hooking up? With the having the threesome in Cabo <laughs> Calamity 2, Body Shots on the Beach. Let us know. Reach out to me. My name is John Fisher Millions, Clive Devine, and Reese Soulstone. We want to know what you think. And make sure to tune in for those Oscars coming up in March. Good night, everybody.